0: If you want to follow along today with the scripture lesson, it's going to be found in Psalm 16. We'll be reading all 11 verses of Psalm 16. You don't need to turn to these other passages that I'm going to begin with today. But as you turn there, I do want to to read to you um, several other verses of scripture as we begin. This will come together, I think, in a moment after reading these verses, how it will tie to Psalm 16. But of the many things that we can say about the Lord Jesus Christ, he was a man of clear and obvious uh, divine power, wisdom. He knew it was in people's hearts. He performed miracles. He healed the lame. He gave sight to the blind he called the dead to life again so we could say many things about him the wisdom that he portrayed and displayed but one of the things i think that most marks him is his prayer his prayer life last week i spoke to you and and it, there was no intention on my part to to tie this week to last week but even after putting these thoughts together that I think the Lord has for us today. I see that they are indeed connected. Last week I spoke to you about uh, seeking God alone, searching for him, you alone. And Jesus did the same in a sense. And in Mark chapter, uh, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, he had recently fed the 5,000 He had sent his disciples on a boat to go to the other side of the lake. It says in verse 23 of chapter 14 in Matthew, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we read, Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. We turn the scripture just a few pages in Mark chapter 6, verse 46. We read, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Luke four forty-two. As we continue to read in the Gospels, this example of the Lord's prayer life. Luke 4:42 and when it was day he departed and went into a desolate place. That's not all. Luke 6, just the next page over, verse 12, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. In Luke chapter 22 verses 39 through 41 and he that is Jesus came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. So this was something he did customarily. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And finally, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. The writer of Hebrews says in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he has heard and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. I've thought many times as I've come across those passages of Scripture that tell us about Jesus and His propensity, His habit, His custom to go and be alone in prayer with God. I've I've thought what it must have been like to be able to overhear Him. To overhear the Son of God calling upon His Father. The Son of God without sin, without blemish. What it must have sounded like to hear Jesus Christ pray we've marked remarked before in the past of how that the apostles they'd never re, we don't see it recorded where they asked the lord to teach us to preach but they said teach us to pray and i think what impacted them to ask that question was no doubt the times that they did hear him pray but last week the psalmist talked about us you and I, seeking the Lord alone. And I do pray that you know the Lord and that in the silence of your own heart, there is a knowledge of who God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. But I have wondered again and again through the years what it must have been like. What did He pray? What did He say? What, were on his, what was on His mind What requests did he make to God? What did he pray about? Well, in Psalm chapter 16, that we'll read here in a moment, I believe we get something of an insight into what Jesus prayed. Jesus would go off in the New Testament as we read and he would be alone in prayer and and we wonder what might he have prayed. And we read, this Psalm chapter 16 and we think the same thing about who this who this was referring to who who is the one praying and it begins and says a mictum of David which many believe the word mictum it's only found here in chapter 16 and I believe chapter 56 57 58 59 and chapter 60 is the only place this word mictum is stated in the Psalms and it it means poem many think that's what it means but who is the one who is speaking here and as we have that question in our minds as you think about what about that question I I would like to just read this psalm I want you to imagine or ask yourself who is it that is doing the speaking who is this that is writing who is who is this person who is sharing what we read in verse in chapter 16 that says a mictum of David and one immediately thinks it must be David and and I think perhaps there's one way in which that is true but I think that we are dealing with the words, the prayer of Christ here Preserve me, O God for in you I take refuge I say to the Lord you are my Lord I have no good Apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Who, who is this that has said these things? Is it David? Is this psalm referring to any saint, any of us, who might pray like this? Who might say these things? I think we're given insight into that question in the New Testament as well. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, speaking on the day of Pentecost, he refers to this very chapter, this very psalm in his sermon. And he says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 25, beginning there, David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken, which we just read. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, which is the Greek version of Sheol, or let my Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So Peter on the day of Pentecost in his sermon, referring back to Psalm chapter 16, tells us very clearly that this is a prayer of Jesus. This is about Christ. This is what Jesus said. In in Acts chapter 13, Paul refers to this chapter as well, this Psalm chapter 13, and he says it more directly even. Paul says in chapter 13, verse 35, therefore he says in another psalm, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up, of course, speaking of Jesus, did not see corruption. I think it's important to lay that groundwork today. To read this Psalm, chapter 16, in the light in which I think it ought to be read. I don't think it's wrong to say this is a victim of David. Clearly it isn't. It's recorded that way. But this is a psalm that has been written, and I believe gives us something of an insight into the prayers of the Lord. What he would pray to God when he was alone. Certainly it's not all-encompassing, but I can imagine that from this chapter in psalm, we learn much about the Lord in Prayer, the Lord in Prayer, and that's what the title of the message would be today. And I want to look at these verses of Scripture together, and I want us to imagine that the Lord in Prayer is an example for us. Certainly, He is. We think and we know, not only do we think it, we know according to Scripture that Jesus was and is the Son of God. He is God. John chapter 1 tells us that without any uh, equivocation. It is clear that Jesus himself claimed in the New Testament to be God, to be God's son. It's clear that Jesus himself took that upon that title upon himself. It's clear as well, though, that Jesus was a man. In the 14th verse of John chapter 1, I think is where we're told that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became human, the incarnation of Christ. This is a doctrine that if you've been raised under a Christian banner of any kind, I think you are aware and familiar with that truth that Jesus was a man. He came to this world. The Son of God left heaven to dwell with us, to become Emmanuel, God with us. He faced the world as a man. He faced the trials of the world as a man. I've said before, I still believe it. I don't believe that Jesus called upon his divinity to make his humanity more easily and more palatable to experience. I don't believe he called upon his divinity to to reduce the feeling of hunger when he was hungry or thirst when he was thirsty or to reduce the pain, even the pain of the cross. I don't believe that for one microsecond that Jesus called upon his divinity to reduce the pain that he felt in his humanity. I don't believe he distanced himself from what it means to be human, from what it means to live life here in this world of difficulty and sorrow and pain. I don't believe Jesus did uh, allowed himself to ease his humanity and the burden that it is to live here by calling upon his divinity. And I think we see that most clearly in his prayer he's praying as a man as a human he's experiencing what it is to be in prayer with god alone and he models that for you and me i i i almost hesitate though to to begin to to tread upon this ground where where jesus walked this prayer of his if i if I'm able today, I, I hope that I can at least maybe begin to to pull the shades back just a little bit of, of what the glory and the, and the beauty and the brightness of, of what it is to see Christ in prayer. And then for us to begin to even begin to try to climb that incredible mountain of prayer to God like Jesus did. The summits that he reached as a man. In his humanity. What did Jesus pray. When he was alone with God. The Bible doesn't tell us. It was this very passage. But I, I seem to think. As Peter and Paul have told us. That this chapter. Chapter 16. Is the Lord praying. I, I think perhaps at one point. On those on those mountaintops. Or in Gethsemane. Or wherever uh, he might have found himself. Where he could find some time alone. That prayer. Like this one, if not this very one, was a prayer that he prayed. And so as you and I look at it today, I I think we can take so many things from this chapter on how that we ought to think and pray. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. We even in the New Testament we're told that there are times that it's the Spirit of God Himself that gives us the words, and sometimes they're not even words, are they? They're just groanings of the heart. Perplexed minds. Broken lives. That words could never encompass, could never fully describe. As you Find times in your life like that or or if if things are even going well for you today if, if you're a child of God I, I pray that you might look at this chapter with with fresh eyes today and, and that that before we leave here today there's some things in your mind and heart that the next time you go to the Lord in prayer some of these thoughts will come to you as as you as you bow your knee and and as you live your life and as you call upon God yourself that that you might see the captain of your salvation the son of God Jesus Christ the man praying as well and that some of these thoughts that are so grand and so marvelous and so spectacular and so humbling to us would would come into your thoughts and your mind that this is the very son of God praying like this. And he says, preserve me. Oh, God. Preserve me, keep me, guard me, protect me. The, the Hebrew that set a hedge with thorns around me and protect me. This is Jesus praying this. God, would you protect me and, And God, as we would refer to him, is referred to with three different names in this in these first two verses. Preserve me, O God, which means is is the Hebrew word El. It is it is God, as we would typically uh, consider that word. In verse 2, you have Lord with all capitals in most of your English translations. You'll notice that it's, it's Lord with all capitals. And then, and then the next Lord that comes in that verse, it's not all capitals. The first Lord with all capitals is Jehovah, the self-existent one. God who has always been and who always will be. And the second Lord is Adonai, that one that isn't capitalized in your English translation, which is mighty one, or, or excuse me, it is master. It is controller. It is, the, it is the master of me as his, even in his slave. He is the one I follow. He is the one who controls my life. And he begins, though, and says, preserve me, O God. God Of heaven and earth, preserve me and keep me, Jesus praying this. There's an admission, even in his humanity, that if he is to be kept and preserved, it's going to be because he's kept by God. There's no other place. There's no other place to be kept. And he says, I preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. It's you that I go to for security. It's you that I go to for my peace and my comfort and my protection. I don't go anywhere else. It's you, Father, that I go to. As we, as we uh, perhaps, as we might think of it this way, as we look at Psalm chapter 16 and kind of have our, our, our eyes or we're kind of looking over the shoulder and listening in as Jesus himself prays and he calls upon God in his humanity. Preserve me, O God. Keep me. Protect me. For in you I take refuge. You are my safe place. Do you know, is it odd to you, I don't think it should be, or isn't it at least interesting that the further our nation and the world goes from God, the more need for different safe places they seem to want to find. That's the thing today, isn't it? Safe place. I need to go to my safe place, which by the way, most of the time is a place where you deny reality, not find real safety. In God, you'll find safety. In him, not not things about him, not Even heaven itself outside of God. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. That word God in that first uh, verse means the Almighty One. You are the Almighty One. There's nothing else and nowhere else, no one else that I can go to for this refuge. It's, It's you and you alone. And as we overhear and listen in to to our Lord and our Savior as he prays, may we mirror that as best as we can in our own prayers. That we admit and we acknowledge to God, you alone is where I find refuge. Where is yours? Where's your safe place? Where do you go when you don't have answers? Where do you go when you don't feel safe? Where do you go when everything around you seems to be crumbling and many enemies seem to be assaulting? Where is it that you go? Well, where was it that Jesus himself went? To his Father, to God Almighty. You are the one in whom I take refuge. And this admission in these first two verses, it it moves forward. And when he says, I say to the Lord I say to Jehovah I say this to you Now again it's Jesus in in as he is portrayed here and as he is speaking according to Peter and Paul in the New Testament in the in the in the in the, in the uh, book of Acts it's Jesus saying I say to the Lord to Jehovah you are my Lord you are my Master, you are my director. And even in Jesus' life, when he would say in the, new, in the Gospels, we heard him say that my, I am not here to do my will, but my father's. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he said and prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And so in prayer, the Lord in prayer to God, we see this pattern where he says to Jehovah, he knows who he is. It's his personal name. I'm speaking now, God, to you and in your prayers, when you're alone and you want to mirror or, or at least you want to, to try to become at least something like our Savior. And if you know him, I, I think there's something in you that wants to do that. You You want your prayers to be. Be heard. You want them to be effective. You want them to be useful. Studying of God's word is important. Church attendance is important. Fellowship with other believers is important. But there just is no substitute for the lifeblood of prayer in the Christian life, there's no substitute for it. And if we are to mirror the, our Lord as he prayed, we say, Jehovah, I, I admit, uh, my admission to you is that you are the Je- are Jehovah. You, I know you and, and you know me. You're my master. You're the one who directs my steps. You're the one who moves and I follow. May our prayers come somewhere in the same universe of our master, our own Lord Jesus Christ in this. And he, he acknowledges in this, these admissions in these first two verses, just these admissions of, of, of the man, Jesus Christ, I, I have no good apart from you. This is more than poetry. I have no good apart from you. There's nothing in my life that is good, Father, apart from you. There's no source of good. There's no benefit of good. There is no good apart from you. This admission and this acknowledgement on the part of Jesus should ring true to our own hearts, those of us that know God. And for those who do not, I want you to know that there's no good in this world apart from God. None. Not a little, not you you know if you, you don't need to follow the lord you don't need to become a christian you don't need to be a follower of all these things you just just live your life for yourself there's no good in that there's no substance in that there's no meat in that there's no joy in that not really Jesus praying here on this mountaintop as we kind of look from a distance because of our trepidation even to, to get anywhere closer to that holy place where he is pray, praying, but our Savior, our, our our God, our Lord says to the Father, there's no good apart from you. And we're reminded of James chapter 1, verse 17, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness or shadow of turning, there's no good in my life, this admission to God. I have no good. Not my job, not my family, not my hobbies, not my interests, not YouTube, not Facebook, not popularity, not wealth, not power, not fame, not, not even others understanding, not even people encouraging. God, I have no good apart from you. That's what Jesus prayed. And that's what I want to be able to pray like he did, at least in some small way. God, I've got no good in my life apart from you. What's your good? What's your safe place? Where do you go? How do you pray? Do you pray? The Lord in prayer instructs us mightily here, I think, in Psalm 16. And those admissions that he makes, first of all, you're my Lord, you are Jehovah, you are God Almighty, I take refuge in you, I have no good apart from you. Now he talks about his position, his admission in prayer, first two verses, I think verse three and four, he he talks a little bit about his position in the world. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I, I do know, and if you have another version uh, of Scripture, King James or the American Standard, there's some discrepancy in this verse, in this passage. I believe, I believe, however, that if we look at this, what Jesus is saying is that is he takes delight in the people of God. Did you know Jesus delights in you if you know him? He says, I have no good apart from you. And he says, I take delight in those who know you. To be the object of the Lord's delight before his Father is an incredible grace and mercy and gift that he would delight in us. But then he does give a word of warning. His position in the world is his delighting in God's people. But he gives a warning in verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God. And the word God actually in the Hebrew is not there. It, I do agree it is inferred. But if, you're, if you have the King James, you'll see God is italicized. So really the sorrows of those who run after another is all it says, shall multiply. You want to go somewhere else? You want to follow something else? You want to follow yourself? You want to find some other God? You want to follow another? Your sorrows will multiply it's a word of warning it's it's a it's a word of as he prays to the father those who go after anyone else father their sorrows are going to multiply they're they're not going to get less they're they're going to get more i'm thankful today that i because i know god because of his love and his mercy to me because of what he did when he saved me when i was 11 years old That my sorrows, they're not going to multiply. They seem to do that here in this life at times. They seem to multiply it and and not just add. They seem to multiply. It's not addition. It's multiplication sometimes of sorrows. But I know one day those sorrows are going to be gone forever. They'll be behind me. They're not going to multiply anymore. They're not going to get bigger. They're going to get smaller until they evaporate into nothingness in the glory of God in heaven. None of those sorrows are going to follow me. They're not going to multiply in my life. Eternal, but if you don't know the Lord, the only thing you have is multiplying sorrows, growing sorrows, more sorrow, sorrow after sorrow, deeper and deeper, further and further from God. The sorrow of those who run after another will multiply, Jesus prays. Jesus said this. He acknowledged that he said this is the position of those in the world who are running after somebody else. Their, their sorrows are gonna multiply. And I, I want to tell you today and, 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 and say to you, not my words, but God's word here says your sorrows are gonna multiply if you run after another. You're, you're, they're not gonna marked off the list. You're, you're not gonna say, I'm gonna get through this sorrow and it's gonna be okay. You know, the child of God can say that. It will be well. It is well, it has been well. Since the day the Lord saved my soul, I am now walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil for you are with me. You are my shepherd. You are my guide. You are my rock. You are the one who leads me because he's already acknowledged that. You are my Adonai, my Lord. The sorrows of those who run after another, they're going to multiply. Not only that, Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. I will not participate in their acts of religious devotion, Jesus says. I'm not going to be a participant. I'm not going to hear it. I, I think of Amos when God himself tells Amos to tell Israel, I'm not listening to your prayers. Your offerings stink in my nostrils. Your behavior, your religious Outward service does not appease me. It appalls me. I want you to know that that the Lord says, I'm not going to participate in those offerings. And and in these days, men would. They'd they'd seal a a religious dedication or some pagan idea of it anyway by drinking the blood of animals. And, And sometimes, according to some things I read even of humans, this just diabolical evil practices jesus says i'll have none of it but not only that he says i will not take their names on my lips i i'm not even going to acknowledge who they are i'll not speak their names jesus says in prayer and of course we think of matthew chapter 7 verse 23 where Jesus says, and he's been teaching, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into heaven. And he goes on and where those people say, but Lord, didn't we do this? And didn't we do all these wonderful things? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all these wonderful works? We proclaimed you. Lord, we're your followers. And Jesus is going to look at them. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. In a sense, your name was never on my lips. I never named you. Your name is, 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 remember back in the day, maybe not so much anymore, sadly, your name meant something. When somebody spoke your name, you desired for them to think well and positive and your name was all you really had. Jesus says, by the way, that's all you really have is who you are. Who you are, not what you have. Who you are. Has Jesus named you? Do you know him and does he know you? I will not participate in the other things that they might try to, to merit the pleasure of God. And, and, and I'm, maybe my good is going to outmay, outweigh my bad. And, and I'm going to do all these wonderful things. That's what these people that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7 thought. He's going to tell them, I never knew you. Your name never came across my lips. I'm not going to take their names on my lips, Jesus says. That should be, that should be horrifying, shocking, and drive us toward God, the reality of that truth. That there are and have been, and we know will be, countless countless people many Jesus said will say to me in that day not a few not some not an exception many Will say to me these things and he's going to say I never knew you I I do not know your name Jesus prayer goes on verses 5 and 6 the Lord is my chosen portion there's that word all capitalized again. When you read your Old Testament and you you see your English translations capitalize that word Lord, know it. It's Jehovah, the self-existent one, the one who is because he is, and that can that can be said about no one else we know. I am, I am because God is, and He created me. He called me from nothingness and formed me and shaped me in my mother's womb. And he calls me to himself. I am because he is. He is because he is. He is Jehovah. Jehovah is my chosen portion. I choose him, Jesus says in prayer. I make this choice. I make this decision. I choose Jehovah. I choose you. You are my chosen portion. No one forced me to this. No one compelled me to this beyond my will. No one drove me to you outside of my own desire to come to you. And, and I think when we deal with lost souls or people who are seeking God, I think it is important for us to ever and always say, go and seek him. He wants to save you. He wants to know you, but we cannot shove them up the aisle, down in prayer, give them a prayer to say, and up and, and force them against their will. That's impossible anyway. The Lord is my chosen portion He is all of my life. He's what I choose. Not only is he my portion, what's in the cup. He's my cup. He's my portion and my cup. He's all I have and he's all I want. He's all I will ever have. Jesus in prayer. As he's bended upon his knee on those mountain tops when he was all alone in prayer think about how wonderful it is that in this psalm chapter 16 maybe we get a little bit of an insight if we could have been there on those days when he said enough. I'm, I'm, I'm physically tired. I've been healing people all day. I've been teaching all day. I'm tired. It's been hot out. And I'm just weary. But he says I must go and be alone with God. How wonderful it is that we can see. Maybe these are some of the things that he was saying on those quiet mountainsides, all by himself. Lord you're my chosen portion. Not the Not the acclaim of these people. Not not the merely the miracles that you allow me to do, not my ministry, but you. You're my chosen portion, not only that, are you the portion, but you're the whole cup. You're you're the you're the thing that I can have a portion in. Because, as he said earlier, I don't have any good apart from you, you hold my lot. That word lot this idea that, like, almost like drawing straws, it's like, God, you hold my, you've heard it said this way, you're like my lot in life. God holds it. Jesus, the son of God, the man, said, God, you are my lot. You are, you hold it, you, you fashion it. You allow it, and I know we get in, isn't this amazing? I, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in the, the, the reality that man has been given a free will to exercise. And, and, and often it's always, well, you must choose one or the other. And I say no to that. It's not true. Both are real, and we find it in Scripture all over the place. The Lord is my chosen portion, and He is sovereign that He has prepared the lot of my life. But what I do within that lot is my choice. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Do You hear the confession of Jesus here, not of sin, but of confession to God of what he knows to be true. You're my portion. I confess that, God, you're all my all in all. You're, you're my portion. You're my cup. You hold the lot of my life. And I will tell you that Isaiah, I think it was, or Jeremiah, one of the said that Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrows. Remember that passage? You're acquainted with sorrows. You know pain. He's going to know he's going to know difficulty and trial. And yet he prays to God. The Lord in prayer says the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus, as he prayed this type of prayer, Thought for one moment about just merely his life here, because his life here was hard. His closest friends betrayed him, left him alone when he was handed over to the Jewish to the Jewish Sanhedrin and then the Romans to be crucified. And yet he says, "I have a beautiful inheritance." I have a beautiful inheritance, Father, that you have prepared for all who love you. May may all not be as those who run after another that multiply their sorrows, whose names I will never know. And he makes a resolution in verses 7 and 8. I bless the Lord. I bless Him, Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah I bless you. I don't understand all that you do. I don't know all that is happening I don't know the end from the beginning as you do I don't know the dominoes that knock over because this one knocked over I don't know I don't know as they talk about that butterfly effect. Butterfly flaps its wings on the other side of the world and a hurricane broach. I I, I don't know. I don't know, God, what you know, but I, I bless you. I bless your name. I do not curse you. I do not set myself against you. I bless you who gives me counsel. You you instruct me, he says, and the night also my heart instructs me as God works on our heart and and as it worked on the Lord and as that that will and that counsel of God, it was ingrained in him and he knew his father and he said, "I, I bless you, you the one who counsels me and who gives me instruction. And so as we pray to God or overhearing at least Jesus pray, you ever had people in your life that you love to hear them pray? And how much of an encouragement it is. And you just long to hear them pray because of the the sincerity. Maybe not the eloquence, but the sincerity and the connection with God that you sense from them. And you go, I just want to be like that. Multiply that by a million. And maybe you've begun to see what it must have been like to hear Jesus pray. But you can. In Psalm 16. I bless Jehovah. He gives me counsel. In the night he Also my heart instructs me, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And of course the psalmist said that in chapter 62 last week as well. What a prayer this is, this resolution in prayer and I will bless Jehovah in the midst of all the pain around me. When Lazarus has died, When my own people who I grew up in, in Nazareth, look at me and say, aren't you just the carpenter's son? Who do you think you are? When his own earthly brothers just dismissed him and thought he was, didn't believe in him. And as he walked out of Nazareth that last time, knowing he would never again be able to go home. His own people that he grew up among turned him away. I bless the Lord. I bless the Lord. And then finally today, the condition that he's in in prayer, verses 9, 10, and 11. And this is the ground that I most hesitate to, to tread. But Jesus, in the midst of all of these things that he faced in his life, he prayed things like this therefore my heart is glad therefore my heart is glad my whole being rejoices it's only in prayer that you can get to a place like that i i i very much enjoy it and i and I, we're encouraged by it when we can be together <clears throat> a revival service a regular sunday service when the presence of the lord is is manifest in a in a great way and our hearts are glad in rejoicing but i i hope i want my own heart to be like his in the midst of all of the things that, that he faced. Because of Jehovah. Therefore, verse 9. Because he instructs me. Because he guides me and gives me counsel. Because he's my Lord. Because he's my portion. He is my cup. He has given me a beautiful inheritance. My heart is glad. The whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. It's well. It's okay. Listen to Jesus, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And that's what Peter and Paul in Acts referred back to and said specifically when they were telling the people that they were speaking to this, this chapter in verse 16 of Psalm. It's not talking about David. He died. He went to the grave and it's with us today, Peter said. But this one that is speaking these words, was raised from that grave he is now with god his condition the condition of a ch- of christ in prayer is glad heart and a rejoicing being who knew he was secure in the flesh my flesh dwells secure you make known to me the paths of life. You, you give me something of an idea. You don't, don't always do. I know where the path, how it's going to weave and, and and, and change direction. I, there's things in my life that I can look back on, and I, I the the change in direction that I, I knew enough to know that the Lord was changing the path. He was, he was turning. And, and I want to be with him. And so, so I turned. And yet I didn't know where that winding path would then go next. But I do know where it ultimately ends. In his presence. But between now and then. Jesus in prayer and here in Psalms is recorded. You make known to me the path of life. You show me what life is. You show me where it is. You show me what it looks like. In your presence there's fullness of joy at your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore. I have so longed to think and thought as I've shared. What must it have been like to set your eyes and your ears upon the Son of God as he bowed alone in prayer? I have been so blessed as I prepared to come this way and the Lord plant place this chapter on my heart and as I began to read and study and, and, and see these other things what a blessing God you, you, you have given us insight into what those prayers sounded like and, and not only that you give me something to strive for in my own prayer and though I'll just be a candle next to his son on my best day I can pray like my Lord Because I know how he prayed. I know he knows me. His name has crossed. My name has crossed his lips. One day when I stand before him. He's going to say. Oh. Oh yes I know you. Come. And I can. Share with my Lord. Something. Of prayer. Like he did. I pray that the Lord would help us to see that blessing. So much more could be said about all of these verses. But my prayer is that your heart will be stirred and moved not to measure yourself, not to condemn, but to do as Paul did. I'm forgetting what's behind. Paul had a lot of good... That's often what we think about. We think about the... How could Paul forget what was behind? Look at all that he had done. I think Paul struggled most with the sin, the things he did contrary to the will of God. And he says, I put those things behind. I reach forth for the things that are before. And and Psalm 16 gives us much for which to to reach in our prayer. Let's have a song if you could.